Uh, my name is Sarah. I'm one of our associate pastors here. And as some of you who know me know, there is not just one of me. I have a twin sister. Don't worry, she is safely living on about halfway across the uh, country in Chicago. She went to school in Ohio. And when she was in college in Ohio, she was very involved in the same Christian organization that, surprise, surprise, I was also very involved in in Connecticut. This uh, university Christian fellowship, they really wanted to instill in college students the fact that Jesus cares about justice and he has compassion for the poor. So she was serving with her group up in uh, Cleveland, a little ways away from their college. And I think they had done a, a meal at a drop-in center or something. And she sits down uh, with some of the folks to, to enjoy their meal together. And the guy next to her starts talking to her and says, where are y'all joining us from? And she says, oh, the College of Worcester. It's like, oh, that's where I went to school too. It's like, really? Like, it's two hours away, very small, private, liberal arts school, um, not in the middle of nowhere, not, not close at all to Cleveland. But she's like, okay, wow, that's, that's a coincidence. And he says, what are you studying? I'm studying chemistry. Oh, me too. And she goes, really? Like, which college do you go to? Me too. What are you studying? Me too. And there's the fact that when you are spending a lot of time and energy and money to obtain a diploma from this university, you like to think that it guarantees success afterwards, right? So, but they, they keep talking, and he says, so have you had a class with Professor so-and-so? I worked a lot with him. She looks at him and says, no, no, I haven't. I heard he was too tough a grader, so I'm putting him off for next semester. We can be surprised what happens when we serve. Today we're talking about one of the fundamental things about our church, one of the things we want to be all about, which is caring for the poor. And we are surprised by what happens when we reach out. Vineyard Hopkinton is a church that does care about the community. We believe that the church is an organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members caring for the community, for the poor, taking a stand for justice is integral to who, what the church is because it's integral to who God is. There are many ways to serve the community. We as a church give lots of money and serve the community in many ways outside the four walls of this church. And our Bible passage today is the story of some folks who were surprised what happened when they served. Here at Vineyard, we believe in caring for the poor, and we believe that something surprising happens when we serve. We see Jesus in new ways. So let's pray together as we turn to our scripture today. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. We ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts and our minds today. Jesus, there's so much that um, comes at us, and we have so much in our minds, Jesus. We turn our attention to you. And to your word, would you touch us and change us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This is a parable or a story that Jesus tells. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus is telling those around him what he will accomplish when he completely establishes his rule and his reign. This is what it'll be like. Some Christians, um, most Christians think that this happens, you know, at one point in time. Others think that this is a continuing process that Jesus is working in the world right now. But Jesus is telling us a metaphor of what he will do as he completes his work. All the nations will be gathered before him, 
and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Sheep are more valuable than, than goats, and often we see sheep used as a metaphor for the people of God. It was not always a flattering metaphor. Sheep are dumb, they wander around, they get lost. God is a metaphor, the shepherd, the good shepherd is a metaphor for God. He cares for his sheep. He takes care of them even when they've wandered away. And shepherds, they would often graze the sheep and the goat together. They both eat the same grass. But at night, it was part of the shepherd's job to separate them. The goats, they don't have the big woolly coats, so they need to stay together at night to, to keep warm. So the shepherd does his job and separates the sheep and the goat. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, come, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then we have the same thing just in reverse. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, very truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When Jesus returns as king, when he's 100% in charge, he sets up things right. He says, your sheep, you may be like weak and dumb, but you're valuable to me, and this is what I want to keep around. Your goats, and uh, the word in uh, verse 46 for punishment, it means to, to prune back, to, to cut away. He says, this is not what I'm looking for. This is not going to stay around. We need to cut this back, prune this back. There's been a lot written about the judgment part of this parable. The meaning of eternal has been debated back and forth. Is fire really fire? How can God say, depart from me? What is eternal punishment? And, you know, I don't really want to get into all of that. The main idea is don't ignore the poor. This is a big deal to God. He's not okay with folks just getting to, to hang out and keep doing whatever. He takes justice very seriously. I don't want to analyze God's warning this morning. I want to say, Father God, I love you, and I want to do the good things you've prepared for me to do. You know, I've only been a parent for, let's see, about seven weeks now. But in those seven weeks, I have had to give my youngest child a, a warning to say, you need to stop doing this or you will get a timeout. And you know, I've only been a parent for seven weeks, so this may all change 
But never once in these seven weeks has she looked at me and said, okay, mom, is that four minutes of adult time or four minutes of kid time? How about if we, we change the chair so the angle and not looking out the window the other way? Like, what do you mean by stop doing this? Do you, do you require a complete cessation of all activities? Now, if that happens on week eight, I will come back here and I will get some prayer. But I don't really want to analyze Jesus' warning this morning. I just want to take it seriously. Well, that's not entirely true. I want to analyze it just a little bit, just a little bit. When Jesus calls the quote-unquote sheep forward into their reward, he says, enter into the kingdom I've prepared for you since the creation of the world. The reward for those who follow the way of Jesus, it's planned, it's ordained, it's prepared. When he sends the goats away, he says, depart from me into the fire prepared for the devil. There's a consequence to sin, and God has dealt with sin firmly. The only person that God sends to punishment is Satan. The originator of injustice and suffering is damned, and we stand in in respect of, of God's decision and power. The rest of us, it's not what's intended for us. What's intended for us is the place of blessing prepared by God since the creation of the world. We, we could choose the opposite way, but God intends the kingdom of blessing for us. Also, I think when we read these stories, these parables, the point is the point. The Good Samaritan, the point is the point. The, the uh, parable of the prodigal son, the point is the point. The point of this story is that when Jesus returns as king, this is what will remain. This is what is allowed to stay. This is the society that Jesus is after. This is how people will act. This is how we will love one another when Jesus establishes his kingdom. So what's he looking for? What's Jesus after? He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. God made this world perfectly to produce enough food to provide enough water for everyone. Instead, we, we, we grow corn for plastics. We exploit the natural resources of developing countries for consumer goods for developed countries. And in the U.S. alone, the, the statistics on, on wasted food are staggering. People estimate that about 60 million tons of food are wasted. Almost half of all produce is thrown away because it doesn't look good enough or because of spoilage. It's a staggering dollar amount that is filling our landfills. Um, God gave us a world that is capable of feeding everyone. Everyone needs to be fed. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you invited me in. I've worked with international students here in the U.S. They're young people from all over the world who, who come here to study, many U.S. colleges have come to depend on them for tuition dollars. And they're some of the brightest and best from around the world. 75% of international students will never set foot in a U.S. home while they're studying here. That's three quarters. who will never be invited inside a home for coffee or a meal or a place to stay. You know how many people invited me in the first week I was living overseas? I was invited over to people's homes all the time. Come on over, get some food. You look skinny. You need to eat. Our God is a hospitable God. The picture of heaven is of God inviting us in, strangers from earth with some pretty horrible habits into the lavish feast that he's prepared for us. Our God is a hospitable God, and God wants us welcoming in immigrants, newcomers, strangers. And then Jesus continues and just really 
to really radically identify with people that the God of the universe should not identify with, that a respectable person should not identify with. He says, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. God is concerned with the dignity of every person. This isn't about fashion. God wants every person clothed with the dignity fitting the people he made in his image. The God of the universe says, I was sick and you looked after me. You know, Jesus had a human body, and I think that human body was susceptible to germs. We know for sure that that he got tired, but Jesus still went to the sickest people in town and gave them a big hug. He reached out in compassion and love, and he wants that same for us, to reach out in compassion and love. And then lastly, Jesus says, I was in prison, and you came to me. Our society has given us a free pass to look down on those with a criminal record, but Jesus does no such thing. He does not look down on the thief hanging next to him on the cross. Again and again in the Bible, we're exhorted to visit those in prison. You know, in the U.S., half a million people are in jail just awaiting trial. They could be totally innocent, could be guilty. They just can't afford the bail money. A little under a quarter million women are incarcerated in U.S. prisons or jails, and almost half of them aren't convicted of a crime yet. They're just detained pending trial, separated from their children and unable to work um, because they haven't posted bail. As followers of Jesus, there is no looking down on those in prison. Jesus calls those of us in prison valued and worthy. This is what Jesus wants from us, and this is what Jesus wants for us. And he wants to meet us as we carry this out, as the youth group serves at Project Just Because, as, as we give to Thanksgiving baskets, as, as we do our Christmas gift uh, giving here at Vineyard. At Vineyard Hopkinton, we meet Jesus in new ways when we serve. The youth group, we uh, loaded up my car and uh, Sam's car with a whole bunch of sandwiches. Some of the youth had to work a little bit on their sandwich-making abilities, but that's an added bonus. Um, And we went to an organization called Common Cathedral in Boston that serves a meal and has a worship service for folks in the homeless community in Boston. As part of their uh, um, church service time, they had a testimony time. You know, I was so touched by some of the testimonies. There's one, one gentleman towards the front of the crowd who, he was in a wheelchair. His, um, his movements were clearly difficult. His, his, his speech was a little tough to understand. It was clear that he, he struggled with multiple um, disabilities, um, and he's living on the streets uh, in, in a wheelchair. And towards the end of his testimony, he said, I thank God, and I'm happy. I just thought, man, if Jesus can make you happy in those circumstances, like, oh, I want to get close to that Jesus. I want to spend every day with that Jesus. I just saw Jesus in a little bit of a new way from this man's testimony and it just really blessed me and really, really convicted me. When we serve, we see Jesus. But how does this happen? How, how, how do we see Jesus in, in new ways when we serve? Are poor people closer to God? Are, are the poor like some special romantic class of like Christ-like people? No. I, no. 
I think we see Jesus in the needs of the hungry, in the needs of the incarcerated. One author says, when the needs of one person are met by another person, we see a reflection of the gleaming redemption of God. No one gets to play Jesus, but we do get to experience Jesus in that holy place where we are vulnerable and open and another person meets us with compassion and provision. We are all the needy ones, and we are all the ones who meet needs. To put ourselves in one category or another is to lie to ourselves, but caring for people is what Jesus does. We get to enter that holy place when we let others care for us and when we care for others. No one gets to play Jesus, but we experience Jesus when we enter into that exchange of blessing that's so close to the heart of God. I saw this uh, story of this couple um, a number of years ago, and it just, it really made me think of them. I think they show us this well. Uh, It's a video of a couple who experienced the radical love of Jesus in a church service, um, and it totally changed them. Let's watch. Well, that radical love would propel them to sell everything and fly to China with their three small children in two suitcases. No plan, couldn't speak the language, But God told them to go, and they trusted him. So we just said, if he's asking us to go, then we're just going to go. And so we sold our house, and we gave everything else away. And uh, we just came with clothes. And we moved here uh, with our three children. They were 18 months and five and eight at the time. And you had no home, no house? No house. We, We lived in a hotel for three days and um, found an apartment and um, was very interesting. It was, it was, it had rats and it had raw sewage and we didn't know anything. And I remember walking in and it was everything up until that point for me, it was very exciting. It was, even though there was a lot of sacrifice involved, but even the sacrifices were such a joyful sacrifice. It was. Like, it was all I had to give, and I was just so happy to give it. But at that moment, as I stood in the apartment, and I watched my... I watched my children come in for the first time and see their new home. And I thought, what kind of mother does this to her children? You know, we had a beautiful home and a beautiful family. And it hit me, you know, like... This is real, you know, this is, this is real. And I saw their little faces, you know, just try and do the best that they could. And, and I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, what have I done? What they had done was put their lives completely in their father's hands. And either he would have to come through for them or they were in big trouble. But then, Dina forged a relationship with some of the local orphanages, and miracles began to happen, and doors were opened for them that never should have been opened, and they began to receive children from these orphanages that no one else wanted, which, in just a short time, has led to this. Welcome to the home that love built. With hardly any regular funding and month-to-month financial miracles, Mike and Dina care for lame, blind, and mostly unadoptable children through their ministry, Loaves and Fishes. They give them an education, care for them, 
and pour out as much love as they physically can on children no one else deems worthy of love. These children are us, broken, unwanted, overlooked people. But the father shines through two people, and suddenly the child's purpose is made clear. All that is expected of these kids is that they receive the love lavished upon them. Here is just one example of the more than 40 children Mike and Dina care for. This little boy was kidnapped from his parents and shipped into the country in a box for three days. The lack of oxygen gave him permanent brain damage. So, we, you know, with him, we've, we feel really honored to have him. We always, you know, think, what if our child was stolen? We know and heard so many stories of people who've had their children stolen from them and what would we want? You know, of course we would want to find them, but if we couldn't find them, we would want somebody to honor them, to love them, to care for them. And um, so we counted a great privilege to take care of him in, in the place of his family. When I asked Dina why she does this for children who won't be able to give anything back, I received an education as well. Well, we believe that God is the giver of life and that if He chose for a life to be created, that there's purpose in the life. And um, these children have taught us more than probably some of the greatest teachers and preachers of our time about love. God has used them to change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and we're happy. And holding them, I feel God's presence. And holding them, I feel His pleasure. Mm -hmm. And holding them and loving them, even when they die in my arms, I feel His grace. Why would He choose us to do this? I don't know. But there's this knowing that we're in the center of His will for our life. And we know we're only a piece of the puzzle. You know, we're one piece of this amazing puzzle that he's created. And we just want to do our part well. Amen. You know, I just love how they just see Jesus, you know, and they're happy and they've experienced the joy of serving God in others. That looks like a good life to me right there. Amen. We don't have to move to China to, to do that, thankfully. Um, but that's what God wants for us. Such a good video. All right, lastly, I think that this is, this is what our faith is all about. It's not optional. It's not an add-on. It's not like, oh, my church is, is all into this. Or, you know, he's, that, that's his thing. He likes going out and doing that kind of stuff. Or she's just really compassionate and she's made, made justice and compassion her thing. I think it's really fundamental to what our faith, to what Christianity is all about. There's this historian named Andrew Walls, and he noticed something peculiar about our religion. When you look at the other great religions of the world, wherever they started is where they've stayed centered. So Islam started in Arabia, in Mecca, and is still centered in the Middle East. Buddhism started in, in Asia, that's still its center. Uh, Hinduism, India, it's still, still in India. But have you noticed? Christianity has changed. If we look around the room, not that many of us are like original Christians. None of the staff here is Jewish. Uh, how many Palestinians do we even have in our congregation? I'm not Middle Eastern. We are like so not original. 
Christianity started in Jerusalem. Uh, then these people who are considered total outsiders, uh, they made Christianity their thing, and the center of gravity shifted to, to Rome and Alexandria. Then these like unwashed barbarians, these Europeans, can you imagine? They came to Christianity in droves, and the center shifted to, to Europe. The center is always changing, always shifting towards places that the power brokers of society would least expect. Right now, twice as many people go to church on a Sunday morning in China than they do in the U.S. This contrast is very clear when we look at certain denominations. Um, for example, the Episcopal or Anglican denomination, which started in, in England and the U.S. as an uh, English colony, had a ton of Episcopal churches. Right now, there are 2.5 million Episcopalians in the U.S. Nigeria which had like none 100 years ago, has 17 million now. So this historian asks, why is this? And, and he says that there's a vulnerability in Christianity. There's a softness that makes it discentered, un, unattached. He says that that vulnerability is the cross. At the heart of the gospel is the cross, giving up power, pouring out resources, serving, and the center shifts away from power and prestige and literally moves around the globe to the marginalized. Andrew Walls thinks that when Christianity is in a place of power and wealth for a long period, the radical message of sin and grace and the cross is muted or even lost. Christianity starts to mutate into a nice, safe religion, a religion that's for nice, respectable people who want to live nice, respectable lives. And, and it eventually becomes dormant in these comfortable churches, and the center shifts elsewhere. Uh, as we start to wrap up, uh, if we can have the worship team come on up, we really see at the heart of our religion as a God who not just miraculously provides food to feed us, but a God who goes hungry with us. At the heart of our faith is the God who commands us to provide clothes for each other, but who died naked for us. He came as a stranger and we did not invite him in. He died as a criminal. The cross is the vulnerability of our faith. It's also the crown jewel of our faith. The death and resurrection of Jesus make our faith so much different. Our religion has not grown and, and moved like any other religion. It searches out the last and the least. It reaches for the bottom, not stretches for the top. Our religion's founder is not like the founder of any other religion. He was more comfortable with the down and the out. He willingly submitted to the worst humiliation. As a church, we identify with those who, who may be poor, struggling, suffering, it's in our blood. It's in Jesus' blood. Here at Vineyard Hopkinton, we, we give in Christ to grow in Christ. We serve because Jesus serves us. And when we serve, we get the privilege of seeing Jesus. Would you stand as we move into worship? And let's pray together. Jesus, we do want to see your face. We do want to see you as we serve others. Thank you for your great compassion for us. That you love us with a love that knows no bounds, that holds nothing back. When you say, when you said, um, you know, I was I was hungry, I was thirsty, and you you did not feed me. 
and when you say I was naked, you did not clothe me, it's so easy to think, oh, that, that's an exaggeration. But there's really no exaggerating how much you love and care for the people that you have created. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you that we get to be in a community that reaches out with your love so that we can experience your love in new ways, Jesus. And would we experience the blessing of King Jesus that he calls us into when he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Would we as individuals in a church, Jesus, step out and serving? And would we see you and would we love you more clearly as we do that? Thank you, Jesus.